for July 17th, 2017. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 472. Okja, the Super Pig Slaughterhouse. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we're hanging out, watching the movies, watching the TV, listening to the music, reading the books, playing the games, reading the comics, all the things we love, and then hanging out together to talk about it. We're glad to hang out with you for this podcast episode. I'm Matt Rather, and with me are Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. And Mark Lee. Hey, Mark. Mmm, bacon. Mm, oh, I know. I, I'm, <laughs> I feel like Wayne's World. I'm, I smell bacon. Does anyone else smell bacon? Ha <laughs> ha, I get it. Bacon, pig, cop. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the bacon uh, is, has left the building because we are talking about Oakja! 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 Uh, and as, as the rule is that we, you you have to shout it every time someone says the name of the the pet pig Okja. I'm not really. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna go for all. This is gonna be a long podcast. If we all have to say Okja. Okja. Oh, sorry, Okja. we're not doing that anymore. I mean, that was the rule that we set forth 40 years ago. But I guess we can uh, <laughs> ignore and liberally interpret those rules now. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> And, and uh, you, you might uh, – we, we actually – so we're, we're uh, recording a little early this week. Uh, we normally record Sunday nights, but uh, this Sunday night, uh, as, as you know – by the time you hear this, as you will no doubt recall, uh, was the premiere of the new season of Game of Thrones. And we just needed to kind of clear our calendars uh, to do that. Um, there wasn't any other film that we could all three agree on, and everyone's been talking about this movie uh, on on the socials, and we wanted to see what uh, the big deal is about. So there there will be spoilers for Okja, which doesn't matter uh, because <laughs> it, it, because uh, nothing happens, um, and and. <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe that's the biggest spoiler of of them all. Um, the uh, yeah, so we we can spoil three uh, two out of three surprises of Sunday, uh, the sixteenth of July, twenty seventeen. One is that Roger Federer won the uh, Wimbledon men's singles final. Uh, the other is that the thirteenth Doctor is Jodie Whittaker, and the third, what the hell happened on Game of Thrones? Uh, Everybody died. The it was like uh, they all just a team wipe, just a Leroy Jenkins team wipe in the first ten minutes of the first episode. It was, pretty, it was amazing. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> I, I thought that the new book, a, a da- or the what the seventh book, a dance with dragons, meant that like the people will be dancing with the dragons. Turns out <laughs> the dragons killed all the people, and the that's, dragons. That's the twelfth book. The twelfth book is called Tango with Lizards, and that's the actual dance contest right. book. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a cotillion with just dragons yeah. in it. <laughs> So uh, there's your three out of three spoilers for uh, for the 16th of of July 2017. Um, Wimbledon, uh, the big reveal of the 13th Doctor, and uh, what happened on Game of Thrones. And now, Oakjaw! I, I have a basic question. Uh, maybe Pete, maybe you can answer because I know your, your I know that your analytical chops run deep. You see profoundly into things is, is what I mean to say. So, uh, let me ask just the profoundest question I'm capable of asking about this movie. Okja. Okay. What was this movie about? so uh and i'm glad you asked matt so on a superficial level the movie especially when you see the movie advertised and discussed appears to be about the evils of factory farm systems and international capitalistic food supply chains that's sort of what you think it's going to be about when you start to watch the movie and while that does form a great deal of the content of the movie, my feeling was that that was not really what the movie was about. And we can get into why that wasn't what the movie was about throughout our conversation. What I felt the movie was about was – and it, it struggled, I struggled with it because I wasn't a big fan of this movie. But I'm going to try to talk about it the way that I what, – what did I get out of it? What A little light went on that helped me enjoy it a little bit more. 
So the main character, the girl, is called Meja, right? Uh, and, Mija. And the, Mija. So there's Mija, and the pig is called Okja. There's Mija, and there's Okja. There's me, and there's O, right? So there's me, there's a me, and there's a you. And what that got me thinking about is the kind of uh, fashionable conversation. One of the sort of fashionable political conversations that you hear a lot these days is about empathy, right? Uh, you, you, you need to have more empathy. The problem with this particular political situation is people don't have enough empathy. And, and there's a lot built into that idea of what empathy is. What Empathy, I think, is a term that a lot of people feel like they intuitively understand, but which could potentially mean a variety of different things. And have uh, and also a variety of different contexts for different people that often doesn't get gone into in great detail uh, or specificity. And so I felt there was a particular model of empathy that was being explored in Okja. And it's one that I hear about sometimes nowadays, but is mostly like sort of early 20th century philosophy. And I don't necessarily think that this is based strictly on early 20th century philosophy, but I wanted to refer to a particular paradigm and a particular a particular thinker in early 20th century philosophy so as to provide some sort of basis for understanding what I thought the movie was happening in the movie, which explains things such as like, why is everyone in this movie absurd and is why is nothing grounded and why is everything a joke where at the same time everything is brutal and terrible and why are there like strange evil twins and acronyms of 80 sitcom characters and all sorts of strange things and i think it comes down to it makes me think of um, the philosopher martin buber who's uh or buber i'm gonna call him buber who's <laughs> a uh, uh most sure it's not bieber it's actually Bieber. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a philosopher, a German uh german philosopher i would I think it's fair to call him that uh although he's also jewish and uh, it, it, he coined a particular sort of philosophical paradigm called I and thou. Uh, and I actually was introduced to this. If you listen to the Pete cast, you listened to the episode I did on Norm MacDonald Live. I was introduced to the philosophical paradigm of I and thou. By Norm MacDonald. Nor- by Norm MacDonald, who does almost an entire episode making fun of how comedians – insist that their work is important and socially relevant as opposed to just funny nonsense. Uh, and so it's a sort of satire of uh, of of uh, a sort of purpose-driven activist comedy, uh, which revolves around Norm saying that he needs to be more I and thou instead of I and it, and how nobody he's talking to understands what he's saying. Uh, but the basics of it, and I'd say it's, it's I and thou because it's meja and okja, it's me and you. And the idea is, is there's I and it, and there's I and thou. And I and it is about sensation and feeling, and uh, well, feeling in the sense of your senses and and uh, your experience. So smell, taste, fond memory, uh, pleasure. These these are things that are associated with an I and it relationship. Uh, that uh, you can encounter something and you see the thing, and and it's something that's characteristic of how you experience the world. And then there's I and thou, which speaks to a relationship between you and this other thing that is fundamentally rooted in a sort of an, an essential quality of sh- sharing of mutual recognition, right? Like I recognize where I am coming from this and thou, you know, and I recognize thou and thou on your own terms. You come to the table with what you are in your own terms. I come to the table with what I am in my own terms and I regard you and you regard me. And we reach a deeper and more profound often spiritual sort of relationship with each other that is not rooted in things like what you look like, what you smell like, whether I had fun, whether I like you on a superficial level. Uh, and, and this to me made the most sense of any of the many attempts I made in my own mind to try to explain what I was watching when I was watching Okja, <laughs> um, because it seems to be about how each party that's involved in this whole farce, I would say, involving this uh, terribly mishandled agricultural project that it endeavors upon, uh, is is a, it's about how the thing that you deal with and talk to and relate to, you can think of it as having superficial qualities related to how you experience it, but they are there's actual experience a being that's that is participating in it right there's the ceo of the evil corporation which is on one hand you know instrumental in a lot of stuff that's happening in the world but on the other hand is a person and what is that person like as you relate to that person what are her vulnerabilities her fears her flaws this movie has a, everyone has a lot of flaws to the point of absurdity. Same thing with the activists. The activists have a purpose in the world that's instrumental. There's an experience that you have of them. There's causes and effects, but there's also who they are as beings. And and this movie w- seems to want to disassemble 
the experience of things through the senses and reassemble the experience of things as an essential relation between beings expressing feelings for each other. Sure. I mean, the, um, the, the, the way I think about it, and I got, I got introduced to, uh, Martin Buber and I and thou, uh, as, as you get introduced to so much useless 20th century philosophy by a college girlfriend. And I, uh, <laughs> I was, um, I, I I always thought of I and it relationships as relation relationships of use in some way, mm-hmm. and I and thou relationships as relationships of communion in some way, right? Mm-hmm. And that like uh, yeah, and there's there's definitely the idea the the idea. Uh, well, there are two there are two claims. One is self evidently true, and one is maybe a little more controversial uh, that this movie makes in in your formulation of it. Like one is that there's often more going on beneath the surface, right? Which is uh, uh, almost always the case with everything in the world, and. And the other one is uh, we ought to have relationships of communion with one another. And, and that's, the, that's the one that I think the film hasn't necessarily cashed out <laughs> all, the, all the details of, you know, of what, what that means, right? Like, is that because what about, what about all the slapstick? What about all the kind of the farcical... Um, the the farcical elements of it like what about the you know i don't know the the golden pig the like what about this sort of critique of of uh global capitalism and industrial agriculture the kind of intersection of of global capitalism and industrial um industrial agriculture right because you thought that this was going to be like uh Free Willy. Yeah. <laughs> E.T. It's also yeah. like compared to E.T. Or even My Neighbor Totoro in a certain way. But Yeah, yeah the, that the, the idea is that the, like, our... Yeah, I mean, this is this is. I mean, spoiler alert for Okja: she saves the pig, but she doesn't save the world from industrial agriculture, right? And that's right. and and uh, uh, though though its its horrors are depicted, not. I, I mean, it, there was some restraint, I think, in those sequences when you actually go into the super pig slaughterhouse um, and sort of meatpacking plant. Kind of com- they're actually there. It's it's uh, it's very vertically integrated, right? Because a lot of uh, a lot of functions, a lot of different uh, uh, food production functions are in one warehouse, right? Like the 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 feeding. In Paramus, oper- New Jersey, by the way, which is where I I grew up. I grew up adjacent to Paramus, New Jersey. So this was a. It's also where the Coneheads lived. Which is maybe not a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) Are they a product of the same genetic experimentation? And so, like, yeah, it's the... I'm not sure everyone... I mean... I I don't know. I I mean, I come to bury Okja, not to praise her. But the... uh, the, I, I, but I don't want to. I don't want to be like Okja and just spew excrement, uh, <laughs> you know, all all over it. But I didn't like it either. Like I went to be- I went to bed. I like started this movie uh, last night, thinking like, "Hey, this is okay. Let's do a uh, you know movie night in Netflix and chill, right?" And um, <laughs> I turned it off halfway through. And then you too. You yeah. also turned it through half halfway through. So it, did I. About exactly halfway through. I was I was pretty tired. But also, like, had had the film been riveting, I would have I would have stuck with it. And like, I finished it on the iPad in bed this morning, where because <laughs> I just didn't have I didn't have I wasn't awake enough to move. And like, it wasn't. Um, I think there. I mean, I, I I don't know, Mark. What was your What was your experience before I I dive deep into I mean, I mean, some things? I, I also didn't like it. I I I also like, I think we're all on the same page that we felt like it was a whole lot of. Uh, uh, themes that try being thrown at you, but didn't really uh, come together as a piece of whole. Um, the other thing that's going on beneath the surface, as we're talking about at least briefly, is that our expectations for this movie, I think, were very high because it's Bong Joon Ho who did Snowpiercer, who I think, which I think we all really enjoyed, um, and is a much better piece of allegorical science fiction storytelling than Okja. Um, but it's got Bong Joon Ho directing it. It's got Overthinking It Muse Tilda Swinton. Um, who we uh, continue to adore, um, not in spite of, but also I can say because of this performance. You know, it was an interesting performance, and so we all had, uh, and also the massive critical praise which was heaped upon it. Right, um, uh, pretty high score on Rotten Tomatoes, um, uh, New York Times, AV Club, uh, Atlantic. Uh, you know, giving very positive reviews for it. Standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival 
as well. Um, it had everything going it for like this is going to be really interesting, thought provoking, and also kind of a sweet ET uh, free willy kind of thing going on with a, a young person and his or her pet, and you know, illuminating things about the adult world. And it didn't really do any of those things. It wasn't uh, charming as ET. It wasn't as thought provoking as Snowpiercer or or the host, by the way, which is a Bungino's breakout hit. Um, it, it, it failed in comparison to a lot of those things and also intri- intrinsically of itself. So that's at least some context setting for us and how it relates to other things going on when I think our perspective is going into, which is important as uh, because it speaks to our disappointment. I think one thing that's a good sign for me that I'm not that a movie is disappointing me is that I keep coming up with theories for what I think is going to happen in the movie that end up being more interesting than what actually happens in the movie. And did you guys have that? Fe- I had that feeling about Oksha throughout where something would happen. I'm like, oh, here's what I think is going to happen. And then what actually happened was like much more straightforward. So, for example, I was like, oh, so Tilda Swinton's CEO character has like an, a dark twin who doesn't wear a fancy pink suit and is supposedly this like real harsh mistress of a person. I bet they're two halves of the same person. I bet it's just her personality that changes. Nope. She has an actual evil twin that she's Stefan Urkels with late in this movie, which to me just sounds <laughs> so pedestrian, right? Like we, I mean, I think it's done better by Steve Carell in Despicable Me 3 when he plays Gru and Drew, who is the Gru with hair in, uh, in that, in that sort of endeavor. Another one is that when we met Paul Dano, who is the leader of the dogberry style clown terrorists <laughs> uh, the, um, of Alf. <laughs> Let's just out and call it Alf because it's called Alf. Uh, and he's there in a suit and he's telling Maja that he wants her to infiltrate help help infiltrate the research facility by attaching a camera to Okja, I said, oh, he's not a real eco-terrorist. He's a fake eco-terrorist who's really involved in corporate espionage and is just trying to steal the secret to the super pig and is manipulating her se- her uh, her sentimentality because clearly this group of terrorists is can't actually be important to the plot because they're too silly. No, no, he's actually just the leader of a group of silly, bizarre, strange eco-terrorists. There's no switcheroo. There's no similarity in in terms of like, oh, well, they're always lying, but we're always telling the truth, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I get very suspicious when in life or in fiction, when somebody says that this other person is always lying. And and that, you know, my immediate reaction is, well, this person who's telling me that is probably also always lying, right? Because they're telling me that that's kind of how they view that if they're able to to encompass an experience in that way, that this group of people are always lying. That tells me that that they feel like lying is a necessary thing that people kind of are essentially involved in, and that if they lie at all, they must also always be lying. It's sort of projection. It feels like projection, but but that didn't happen either. Pete, so. Pete translation is sacred. <laughs> okay, so what's going on? We, so okay, that, even more than that, even more than this idea of beating up the guy for he mistranslated, right? He made some sort of small. It was a small faux pas, or did no, it large? no, no, oh, it was a huge faux pas. It was a huge faux pas when when okay. when Mija said, "No, I don't want to participate in your plan. Take us back to the mountains." Uh, in Korean, he turned to the English speaking members of his team and said, "She agrees to the plan." Gotcha. And gotcha. that's I, I, yeah, yeah. I actually watched a large amount of this movie uh, on my cell phone after I got bored of it <laughs> on the TV, so I didn't miss that one detail. Uh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So it is a big faux pas. So he and he undermined the idea of consent. Which did that come off as a joke? That's a weird joke. That's a weird. Is it just me, or it is that a played, weird joke? R- rhythmically, it was played as a joke at the time. Yeah. Uh, though the serious, I mean, it was given. I mean, he basically gets the pulp beaten out of him for for that for you know doing that. So right. he, almost he, an like, interesting reversal of the "there will be blood" thing going on, right? Yeah. <laughs> he gets to kick the crap out of someone. Well, and even to just interrogate that a little bit. So the idea is that these leftists are. Uh, they don't want to hurt people, but they, they've they've made a separation. They've made a mental separation between economic damage and personal damage, between hurting people and hurting economics, and like of institutions or of the wealthy. But it, the idea is, if we cause economic damage to their interests, it's not the same as hurting them personally. But which I think is meant at first. We when we encounter it, means that they are like they don't actually assault human beings. They don't shoot them. They don't punch them. They just break trucks. 
which understandable. That's sort of like the Batman suspension of disbelief is I don't kill anybody. I just batarang them and jump kick them off of railings. They're fine. And uh, and then there's this idea that consent is presented as like doing something to somebody without their consent is presented as a form of violence. Right. And 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 so we're taking the idea of consent and we are looping it in with shooting people. And I think that that's great that, in fact, like that's a good idea that that the idea that uh, you force somebody to do something at gunpoint is is not really ethically any all that much better than actually punching them and until they do it. Uh, because your your coercion is and violence involved in coercion, right? Is is and there are differences? It's not quite the same, but like I get that they're involving consent in the ideas. I think it's funny. I think it's good, rather. But but at this point in the movie, just the suggestion to me came up as a huge joke. I think it's presented around the time that they talk about the guy who can't keep sitting up because he believes all food production is exploitation and he's trying to reduce his carbon footprint by starving himself, which that was was gold, his name or silver. Uh, and, and I'm like, well, that has to be a joke, right? Like like people have to eat. And this idea that this guy refuses to eat, that just seems like a parody. And so so is it a are you saying that it's funny that leftists think that consent is important? Because I don't think that's funny. I think that's serious. And and so I don't really understand what you're really doing with regards to this stuff. Uh, and I think that was a problem for me throughout. I didn't know the movie. This was a, in general, I wouldn't care quite so much about what side a movie is on. But this is a movie that, that, at least from me being introduced to it, appeared to be primarily interested with taking sides and and only secondarily and tertiarily interested in anything else. It was like, this is a movie about the evils of farming. It's sort of what I, what I felt like I was encountering, the evils of industrial farming. And so then to have it take sides in ways that were confounding and, and incoherent and difficult to understand at first, to me, it was very frustrating. Then gradually, I was like, okay, well, maybe they're just sort of candiding the whole enterprise. That you know, the whole that really what you need to do is tend your garden on the side of a mountain in Korea and not deal with the whole crazy world full of idiots. Uh, and maybe that's the only solution. Maybe that's part of the message of Okja. But I, I mean, did you guys have any experience like that watching the movie? I mean, it definitely has the well, yeah. I mean, I, I had an I had the experience of of the thing being incoherent, right? Like yeah. the thing being. Um, and and sort of upsettingly so at, at at some time like I'm I'm glad that there's entertainment you know I I'm, I'm worried about uh, industrial farming I mean the the mm-hmm. w- whatever you think about uh, the implications for the the treatment of animals it's also you know at, on a global scale industrial agriculture is an uh, ecological disaster and you know as like meat consumption goes up in the world and it's shooting up. Um, like that the we're gonna have to deal with some and like i'm i'm glad that there is a film that wants to address uh these issues in a serious and coherent oh wait um (laughs) you know do you know what i'm saying like i i uh i was a little disappointed by the by the kind of by how badly how badly thought through by by how the film didn't seem to be governed by any one system of uh by by any one system of sort of uh moral claim or aesthetic um you know principle or something like that like in snowpiercer right like it's uh it like the front of the train is where the fancy people are and the back of the train is uh is where the not fancy people are is where the underclass is right and we're going to the front of the train right and that's like it's it's so i think there's even like it's so striking a visual paradigm i think there's even in every frame of painting video about Snowpiercer and like right or left, like left is backwards, right is forwards. You're always going uh, to the right uh, in the in the frame, and that's um, you know that that at least like whatever else is going on, at least that's an organized principle, you know. Um, yeah, I mean contrast that with uh, perhaps I'd say that the the movie at its best uh, with the the crazy chase sequence inside of Korea where the uh, the beast Okja is just careening all over the place inside of the mall and the ball bearings are rolling around. The poop is flying around. Um, that is, uh, it, it's interesting visually to watch for sure and, and fun, but it speaks to the lack of, um, of cohesion and sort of with the, the visuals and the narrative, uh, that we did have with Snowpiercer. Mm. And here's, here's another thing. The Meja, Mija, Mija is an interesting character. <laughs> Uh, is Mija supposed to be a child? 
is Mija supposed to be a cartoon? I feel like she's sort of supposed to be a cartoon child who has a little bit or a, or a sort of woman child. Like she's sort of like Julietta Messina in some of Fellini's movies, not Knights of Kabiria, the other the other ones um, where like she's a sort of otherworldly, you know, sort of preternaturally, spiritually profound uh, uh, little girl. Uh, right. Sort of sort of a, a Spearsian, uh, not a girl, not yet a woman, um, and and that like uh, you know I right and and it's interesting like because one of the things that they do with Okja in the lab is uh, is breed her, and the other I mean the the other thing the film does is sort of linger uh, in perplexing fashion on her one memory on her one nipple right like uh, a couple times and and actually even bring it up uh, only to not ever make anything of it ever right like no it yeah. it, it doesn't come just, around it doesn't pay at all you know quick science side note if you're genetically engineering animals for uh, mass production and, and mass consumption you're going to want to have them have more than one teat so they can uh have as many <laughs> offspring as possible at one time so they can feed off of them i mean i'm not like a biologist but i'm pretty sure that's how that works right yeah, I, don't, I don't do animal husbandry you know but i think it's uh you know i think more more nipples means more kids in the litter right um, so there were there were some things in this movie to flesh that out a little bit more. There were a bunch of things in this movie that made it feel ungrounded for me with regards to farming. And I wonder if it's a case where, in contrast to Snowpiercer, by being closer to reality, it became more uncanny the pieces of reality that were disregarded. Yeah. One one aspect of reality that was disregarded, and maybe you guys have had different experiences of this than I have, is that the person in the world who is least comfortable with killing an animal for food is a farmer. And that's pretty much the opposite of yeah. my experience of farmers. And exactly. you know what I'm talking about, Matt, right? And it's heavily implied in the movie, too, because they get the they she fishes and they got chickens running around. And they eat that stuff. She yeah. sees a double time. Yeah. And it's not very is it. And the other I mean, the other thing is addressed is that it, Okja's human level intelligence is never addressed by anybody, which is. And I think that's really jarring because Okja, the scene, the big scene for me, there are two big scenes for me in forming Meja's character. One of them is the one where she grabs the rope. And Okja swings her up on the log, and Okja jumps off of a cliff and lands injured, I guess, but fine. Which is also very unlikely, given an animal of that size, that said it would be able to survive a fall of that sort. But, uh, but, but. Meja is able to grab onto a rope and support her own weight, which is more than any child her age should really be expected to do without a lot of training, at the very least. And also is seems to be not traumatized at all by the experience of almost dying and never tells anyone about it, doesn't seem to cry or be upset. And and at the same time, we see in that scene Okja demonstrate a really complex faculty of reasoning that Okja is able to devise like a Rube Goldberg saving mechanism for major and, yeah, and not only like, oh, right yeah, yeah yeah not only but like a pulley like a pulley system like rather a yeah. complicated problem in uh you know like beyond high school physics right or maybe maybe yeah. the ap class maybe okja is ap physics you know? it would be like a reasonably difficult level in a cell phone game trying to figure out how to swing the girl back up onto the cliff yeah. <laughs> although that would be that's not what the okja cell phone game would be like i'm sure so there's this thing where meja seems imperturbable invincible okja is sort of invincible and it seems to be more like a sort of my neighbor Totoro situation where we're in kind of dreamland. We're not really in the real world. And and then there's the other scene that really struck me. And I don't know if you felt this way about this scene, but the scene where Meja is leaving and she breaks the piggy bank. So her her grandfather, I guess, is gives her the golden pig. By the way, terrible parenting on his part. Terrible parenting, reassuring the child that the pig would never have to leave when he knows full well the pig is going to leave. That is, he is probably the real villain of the story as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Grandpa. Grandpa, because Grandpa tells the he lies to her for years about the situation, and that's why she's emotionally inequipped to deal with it is because she's been lied to the entire time. It's also why she doesn't trust anybody, and presumably he's been lying about other things as well. And uh, and she what really what really happened to Mija's parents? 
We don't know. Yeah. Maybe they were thrown off the cliff, uh, and and the and the piggy bank gets shattered, and Mija is picking up the coins, and there's this just desperately sad moment where Grandpa is like telling her not to cut herself on the shattered pieces of ceramic, and also at the same time begging her not to take the money and go, and where Mija is showing us that she is physically strong enough, and her grandfather is frail enough that she can push him and prevent him from stopping her. And it is just this horrible, brutal scene where this man is being left alone to die on a mountaintop by the only person who loves him. And and it's just and it's so sad. And it, oh. it oh, sorry, and there's one final grace note to this sadness and horror of the scene, which is as she's fleeing uh, and the, the grandfather is chasing after her. He takes she takes some of the dollar bills of the of the, of the, of the bills, larger currency notes and tosses them back. And the grandfather's distracted. Oh, oh I got to get the money and got the money and then gives up the chase. That's at least how <sighs> I interpreted that scene. Did you see that? Oh, my God. It's so terrible. I'm I pretty mean, sure it's oh, what happened. Yeah, that's so sad. Now, so is the point here that the grandfather has is greedy. Is, is greedy. Yeah. The, grand, the grandfather who carries 50 pounds of sticks up the side of the mountain every freaking day or whatever it is he's doing, the gaunt, nearly starved grandfather who drinks out of a plastic beach shovel because he doesn't have anything better, he's greedy because he's trying to sell a pig that he raised. And that, and that, that I feel like, was so cruel. And and I just don't feel like the rest of the movie really honored it and what that kind of what that choice means. Uh, I mean, well, maybe it did. Maybe it did by making all of the other people on every side of every conflict absurd. Uh, maybe that's part of how you honor the the like gross disrespect for the grandfather character that happens early in the movie. Right. Who is, I mean, you know, who is who is caring for a child who takes in a child when the the parents are gone, you know, like that. Yeah. He, he, this this guy is this guy is greedy. Right. Like and did, did you notice him like using sitting he's knocked on his ass and he's using his feet to sort of gather the coins on yeah. the ground it was like very uh it was pretty you know pathetic and i mean that in the sense of like it it aroused pathos yeah and it's interesting because in gathering the coins you can, yeah you can see it maybe it's that the movie is trying to show us that he does care about money more than he cares about people but what it struck me is that was that gathering the coins was an attempt to try to get mija not to leave and that if he could gather the coins faster than she could, she wouldn't have enough money to get to Seoul. And so by gathering the coins, he's really gathering her. And that, and that you could also think of this and extrapolate it and say, well, maybe the reason that you sell the pig is to support your family. And the reason that you make these kinds of sacrifices and do these kind of sad things like kill animals that you love is, you know, to provide or, you know, right. to build a life. So she can get <laughs> off the freaking mountaintop and, yeah. you know, get a college education. And it's it's just like it's just that movie – there were so many different Oaksha movies that we saw. <laughs> There's the Jake Gyllenhaal uh, winning the Brendan Fraser Award for acting at Imaginary Things. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Okay, so let's, let's, let's take – go on a little bit of a tangent here with the Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal character. Um, so many things, different things to talk about. But the first thing is that uh, – also, while we're on the mountaintop in Korea, this is a good point to address this. He climbs up, and he's exhausted, and he just comes immediately shooting out of the barrel, completely overacting, just utterly outrageous – character right um it's I, I immediately thought back to the host um and other korean movies and korean tv shows um that i've seen where you have a it, it's uh, those movies and, and like the host in particular was targeted towards a korean audience and you put in a totally hammy over the top sniveling evil american because that's what those audiences want to see uh for if you haven't seen the host uh just uh, what, what happens is that the, it starts out with this evil american military commanders is like dumped up formaldehyde into the water or something like that which gives birth to the <laughs> the evil beast i'm not even exaggerating that much um, dump the formaldehyde so, into the water that's up there with like that, mokuba start the detonator yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there might be some of that going on where there's a little bit of a of Direction getting lost in translation or, you know, a, a, a Korean director who's going for a extreme caricature of Western uh, of, of Western decadence. And you probably see that as well, the Tilda Swinton thing going on. But on the other hand, Jake Gyllenhaal clearly signs on for this and owns it and and plays it up uh, excruciatingly through the entire movie. Um, did any of this work for you? Like. I get Pete what you're saying earlier in terms of the you know the movie trying to get at uh, mind the depths of these characters and you have this one particular moment which is supposed to arouse pathos for 
Jake Gyllenhaal, where it's like during the breeding scene um, where he says he, he or maybe like when he has he's extracting meat from Oakjaw's butt. He's like, I love animals. He, yeah. he literally just up up and says that. And in the meantime, like completely going on completely crazy. And yeah, and, and, and like he's carrying a bottle around and, and throwing it, throwing it around. Like, I think that people are defined in this movie by their acquiescence to or refusal. Well, it's actually there's no acquiescence to to their sort of like rapacious engagement in or their stubborn refusal to countenance uh, the factory farming, right? Like to industrial agriculture generally. And the, um, like uh, he is an interesting figure because he's in both worlds. He, he knows what he's doing is bad, but he's sort of made his peace with it and is doing it anyway. Right. Like the, the two, uh, uh, both of the the CEO Tilda Swinton characters, by the way, whose names, uh, if you recall, are Lucy and Nancy. Lucy, Nancy, Mija, Okja. The the like, there's this kind of there's this twinning thing that's happening. I think the it's something about the duality of man, sir. Um, and the, <laughs> by the, yeah. another quick side Korean culture note, um, uh, you, it's common in Korean names for siblings to share a, 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 one of the syllables. So, Okja oh. Mija. So, like, my Korean name is Songmin. My my brother's Korean name is Song Jae. So, so the idea that is that the human and the pig are siblings with each other, yeah. and we should recognize that people and animals are family, and should be treated as such. Oh, that and, kind of thing. and so that the the naming of the two CEO characters is sort of for the Korean audience. You can you can recognize that they're they're twin sisters or they're sisters. I guess that's. I mean, we we, we talk about this Korean audience. I, this is clearly a movie made for America, though, right? I I, I think it's. Well, actually, I don't know. Um, that'd be an interesting thing to, to, to the, explore. So the ne- at the end of the credits, there is a post-credit scene with Paul Dano getting out of uh, getting out of jail. And then, if you actually stick, it, it tries to like send you away to the uh, to the kind of infinite Netflix interface where you like choose your you hit the bar and your next food pellet comes down like uh, like one of the super pigs in the cage in the uh, in the Mirando plant. Mirando, by the way. Like it's so it's so chock full of signifiers, and they don't seem to add up to, to much. Um, but uh, but like uh, if you go, there's... you mean Miranda as in Monsanto? How it's so close to each other? No, it's it's called oh. Miranda. Miranda, uh, like literally, literally, like the thing that we the the masculine form of Miranda, which literally means the thing we have to look at, right? Like she who must be looked at, she who must oh. be. I guess it would be Mirandus if it were Mirandus if it were in if it were in Latin, right? But from it's the gerundive from uh, Miro Mirare, which is uh, uh, which you know the the uh, passive periphrastic, which means like the thing you have to x. Um, or so it wait, is, is it just is it just a coincidence? Miranda, in terms of Miranda rights, I thought that was a person's name. Uh, it's, it's not. It's no, a, it's a per, it, it's a person. It's a person's name. But it's a it person's is, name that just by coincidence happens to mean in Latin something very relevant to the legal concept that it relates to. No, uh, the legal concept is named after a person. Right. So, so like, but it's Miranda, and you mean Miranda means something that you have to look at. Something that, yeah, something that you have to look at and pay attention to in in yeah. Latin, and that's this is why the Shakespeare's character is named uh, in the tempest the daughter and 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 when uh when who is it that says to her at uh, ferdinand who says to her admired miranda right like two english versions of the same latin word um you know but like this is this is the mirando corporation and it just seems pregnant it sounds like monsanto it's related to uh, it's related to Miranda, uh, which you know seems to like bespeak beauty and sort of something that you can't, you wouldn't want to turn away from. And yet, both the Tilda Swinton characters are grotesques, uh, and the like. Um, it's it's so chock full of the potential to be about something, you know, uh, so chock full of of the potential to to signify something. I even lost. Uh, oh, I even lost track. But the, oh, the. Um, at the end of the 
post credit scene, there's a minute of credits for all the international versions, which you can see on a lot of Netflix original productions. And there's the, you know, the Castilian Spanish version. There's the uh, French version, Italian, uh, what I, what looked like Mandarin, um, what, uh, and there has got to be a Korean language for, I mean, half the movie is in Korean. If you just switch where you put the subtitles, uh, you have a Korean language version, right? Like, um, uh, there was a Portuguese version. There was a Turkish version. Like, like the, I think this is a Netflix makes these things. I, I think with a global audience, uh, in mind. Right. And, and right. so whether it's, whether it's, it definitely probably America's the biggest market for now, it's the biggest single market, uh, for now. But I, you know, I, the, my point is that it's gotta be, it has to be more, than than that even like naming it like the best super pig festival that's not idiomatic that's not idiomatic american english right like you know it'd be called something else yeah one other uh uh, korean context side note which is sort of on the topic is that i i have a theory it's not born it's not by order backed up by anything else i've read on the internet which is okja is a pun on the korean phrase mokja which means let's eat Oh, and I think it maybe speaks a little bit to the ambivalence or the kind of the having its uh, having its cake and eating it too hmm. uh, approach towards animals and, and and the eating of them. Right again, like you know, they eat the fish and the chicken. That's okay, but uh, the factory farming uh, and all that kind of stuff not so good. Well, the, I mean, so this gets at the this gets at the thing, like what at the what I think the nut is here, right? Like with with animals, there we generally have this is less so on farms, but like we generally have a. Uh, uh because you can't afford to be farmers can't afford to be sentimental about the the crops that provide them their livelihood and the animals that that they raise that that provide them their livelihood but when uh, in a in an, in a world of animal sentimentality right um the, there's a line between the animals we get sentimental about and the animals that we don't get sentimental about and like uh the joke you know the joke that like if you go with a kid to uh to a steakhouse that has a lobster tank the kid's going to name all the lobsters and you can't order one right like you inject sentimentality into that uh into that experience and suddenly the animal has almost a different ontological status than it did before uh, when it was just an animal. It's gone from it's gone from being a subject to an object, or it's gone from being a means to an ends, right? Like, um, yeah, or, it's gone from being an it to being a thou. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. right? Like, the, this is the it's transformed somehow. And every culture draws that line differently. Like, dogs are not on one or the other side of that line in every culture, though in the United States, right? Like, a, a pet dog, even on a farm, right? Like, a pet dog is not like we're gonna we're gonna kill rover and and uh you know have a big feast this weekend right like that that this and like um er, and so I mean, korean culture is notorious for having uh dog soup dog meat yeah um, sure and, and it's, it's not, the, 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 right, these, the butt of jokes and yeah but it, the, and, uh, to that point korea and china as well are trying to move away from having a reputation of serving dog meat Sure. I mean, which is interesting. Like they, they, I feel like maybe the other cultures that, that, uh, uh, think it's a bad idea should be the ones to change, right? Like these, these things weren't handed down by God. They're, they're incredibly complicated, uh, you know, contingent cultural phenomena that have to do with the development of a lot of things over a long period of time and, and the confluence of, of, of many, many forces. But this is a movie about what, this is a movie about, what whether a, a girl for whom Okja kind of crosses the line from the the means to an ends right uh, from and and it's not totally clear whether the the film like if you extrapolate that out like is the the um, um, the CAFO, the concentrated animal feeding operation and the shoot up to the slaughterhouse uh, and the processing plant, like, is that less horrible if it's cows? You know, like, is it less horrible if it's uh, non-super pigs? You know, is it, uh, yeah, and I don't mean to be like, I feel maybe there should be a content advisory, right? Like, I don't mean to be upsetting because like uh, the idea that, that uh, you know, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, 
false consciousness around the idea of around the idea of animals and how we how we use them and honestly the idea of a you know is one one thing i've i've uh been I, I've heard advanced by real life intellectuals who were keeping a straight face at the at the time is that like if you you know uh, we should eat one animal cruelty argument would be that we should eat more beef and less chicken because you have to kill dozens or hundreds of chickens to get the amount of meat from one uh, cow and you know you're only causing suffering to one uh, being rather than rather than the other right like there there are an interesting set of of moral questions. Uh, yeah. and the film wants to, the film wants to, like Okja, kind of spew excrement into that pool and not necessarily wade down into it and, and, and try to, you know, try to, try to make some sense of it or not. Yeah. My, Michael Pollan makes this argument in The Omnivore's Dilemma when he's talking about, uh, he talks about corn agriculture and he talks about grass fed beef and he says that, and I'm, it's not going to be a direct quote, but that the idea that you could produce even vegetables without killing animals or at the very least depriving them of habitat is is a is a Pollyannish uh, kind of dream scenario. And that, you know, tractors cut up field mice in fields when they're when you're uh, raising animals. And he, he posits like, well, there's a, he says it's sort of the same way you would say it. You said, it, I think, too, where he doesn't really, I think, believe this, but posits that, you know, a grass fed steer is probably the least amount of animals killed per food that you can get out of any food, uh, plant or animal, right? on a sort of large scale. Uh, but can you do it on a large scale? Can you not do it on a large scale? But the, right, the, question, the question is like, uh, yeah, the question becomes like, what, what are the metrics, right? Like that's, yeah. and, and actually, like, if you have a, like, uh, you know, animals are sensible of their suffering, and if you are going to inflict suffering, uh, if you have decided that you're going to do that for the kind of instrumental benefits to your human population, then, you know, surely it would be a good thing to inflict the least suffering possible. Like, it's not, it, it, it doesn't take that many hops before you end up in crazy town ethically, you know? And yeah. that's, uh, well, then before we become the guy in the, in the truck who refuses to eat the tomato. Yeah, it's tough. It's, and it's just a tough, you know, it's a, a sort of tough thing and a tough question, kind of an impasse really. And that's not, uh, that's, a, that's not where the film is, is sort of interested in going. It's more, it's addicted to sort of sensation. Like for me, the, the, the real, the heart of the film was in the, like this, the scenes that bookended the movie of kind of like playing down in the, in the pond, you know? Mm, um, yeah. and the, the sort of play, because there's this sense, I mean, and you know, the the pig is a pretty good effect, right? Like uh, Okja is a uh, is a, a pretty good CGI creature, a, a lot of personality. <laughs> Pigs, pig would need to have personality, you know. You you uh, yeah uh, yeah. No, Charlotte's Web, right? Yeah, no, it's it, uh, it. no, it's not. Char- it's Pulp Fiction, right? Like the when oh, the two people oh, are <laughs> arguing about uh, about um, whether you could have a pet pig. Um, that uh the uh you know that that the the pig is animated with great personality the um relationship between them is good and the the um you know and and a little bit i i sort of wonder i i feel i i felt about this afterwards uh even given how sort of joyous especially once the little baby pig is there and falls into the you know uh cute cute baby pig falls into the pond um that like th- if they were going to save Okja all along, like th- what was the point? I felt a little bit about it, like uh, like Pete felt about um, uh, Life of Pi. That you know, I don't want to watch, and this is not what this turned out to be. But I don't want to watch. Uh, 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 you thought uh, not really knowing what the movie was. Oh, yeah. I don't want to watch a kid get eaten by a tiger in a lifeboat. <laughs> Yeah. Right? Yes, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> right, and like if I described this film accurately to you as uh, the film does everything uh, it can to make you fall in love with a cute animal, tortures that animal cruelly and incessantly over the course of two hours, and then returns it home to another cute, uh, 
uh, to another cute scene, this one with a baby, right? Like, would that be something that you would want to, uh, you would want to plunk down? I guess it's, it's, uh, Netflix. So it's not like plunking down $15 American on the, uh, you know, your hard earned American dollars on that. But like, you're, you know, is that something that you would want to pay $9.99 a, a month? Um, to see, you know, I'm not sure that I'm I'm not sure you would. I don't know. Maybe you would. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of similar sorts of movies where the animal is. I mean, it sort of feels like the brave little toaster in certain respects, just because of how dark it gets. Uh, but there, but even then, the brave little toaster uh, interrogates the notion of what it's like to be a possession, and and the sort of conflict between being a being and loving and being owned, and and like sort of projecting that notion of what it is like to relate to something that's not a person. I think the brave little toaster handles the question more robustly than Okja does. Um, it, it, the movie did remind me a fair amount of air bud. And I think of air, Bud. <laughs> I think of air bud is kind of a better Okja movie than Okja, even though nobody wants to eat air bug or uh, sexually assault air bud with another dog. Although that whole thing, right? Like I, I talked about how it joked about consent it's, earlier. It's not, and this then is, later, this is what we do to animals. Everybody like, this is a real thing. You got to breed them. If you're going to make more, you know, like it's not, and it's a, it's a thing where framing it in the way it did as a terrible violation. And rather than as like, industrial animal husbandry right like put a put a uh kind of moral cast on the whole thing that the film did not earn not even a little bit and that you know that's like uh uh and and like is it because these animals are special super pigs are are sentient are like have have you know human level intelligence and you know cows or whatever don't like uh i don't know do you don't you think like a little baby cow i mean haven't you seen city slickers you know the <laughs> <laughs> right like the 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 i'm sure the the uh mommy cow and the daddy cow would the would uh you know p- open the gates to uh to, to push its little calf out if if uh you know bovine okja bokja were uh is escaping from a uh feeding operation like that i i don't know the the it was pretty uh it was pretty grim and i feel like it was unearned and really didn't add anything well, it doesn't it doesn't raise the question of what sex for animals is like in nature either, nor did it raise the question that most insemination of large feed animals like that is artificial anyway. And, and so it's like, is it a it, just like the idea that you were like, all right, we got a big bull and it's going to have sex with this other cow. Like, that's not how it works. <laughs> Maybe with horses. But but what I'm getting away from it, like barring all that stuff. Air Bud is a movie about a kid whose dad dies and who looks for a relationship to shore up his emotional life and his sort of hurting soul after the death of his dad. And he forms a bond with his dog. And the way that he bonds with the dog is he plays basketball with the dog because if the dog weren't there and instead his dad was there, he could play basketball with his dad. And then the dog transcends doghood and is able to follow the kid into his life by playing basketball at the school. And this is the sort of like, wow, like this animal is more than an animal. It's a person. And there's this fantasy of healing this wound and this loss. And there's also a notion of recognition of the other especially in a situation where mourning in particular might make you feel very, very alone. And and Mija, not Meja, Mija, sorry about that, has a similar situation. She's an orphan, and she's lost her parents, and she's totally solitary, and she has this special, special bond with this pig that has taken the place of the missing parental figures in her life. And then there's this question of, oh, that relationship is being brought into the rest of the world. Like the girl has to leave her private pond and like go out into the rest of the world. And it, and her relationship with Okja is going to be reflected in her relationship with the rest of the world, just like in Airbud. Uh, except that I don't feel like, and then at that point, it, it, that, that reading falls apart. Because unless you're really feeling like, um, if she were going, like, unless you're imagining that Mija going to America with her parents would also be a torturous hellscape full of idiots, then, like, you could say, yeah, like, Oak's just taking the place of her parents because immigrating to America is a huge pain and is terrible. Um, but, uh, and you should just go home to your hillside and not try to go to cities. Uh, but, but yeah, this idea of, like, what is at the heart of this relationship between this person and this animal? 
and uh, and why and like how does a person what prompts a person to reach out to an animal and connect to an animal the way that you would a person and part of the answer is that animals are living beings and they have experience and part of the the reason is that human beings want love and to be loved and so in that respect this was I don't know this is one of the many kaleidoscopic shards of Oksha that's floating around in my head uh, as, as regards to how this all works so. Now, the only thing worth noting as uh, as a pet owner, as a dog owner, as a dog parent myself, um, the thing which you get out of a former relationship with animals is that they don't betray you. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> they're, true. They're completely guileless and they and they love unconditionally. That's uh, true. And and that is and unlike the grandfather who is greedy and uh, and, and mistreats the, uh, the the grandfather. Um, okay, so uh, before we wrap, we got to talk about the Tilda Swinton characters a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, I don't know. Do one of you two, first of all, want to just kind of recap why we love Tilda Swinton so much? Because sometimes, honestly, I'm not sure myself, other than I, I know that I love her. She's great. Well, well, my love for Tilda Swinton comes primarily and initially from the movie Constantine. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Where Tilda Swinton plays the angel, Gabriel. Uh, and it, it is a, 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 I don't want to call it a riff on the movie The Prophecy as much as just taking whole cloth plot points out of the movie The Prophecy and putting him into the movie of Constantine, which is, of course, based on comic books and whatnot. But the angel Gabriel kind of hates people because people have been privileged above angels. And 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 so the movie Constantine is meshing different sorts of uh, mythological and fictional and religious uh, to the extent that these are different uh, ways of thinking and talking ideas of what angels are into this this sort of fusion and so there's this notion that angels are either genderless or androgynous, which is from Milton. And there's this a- idea that angels are enemies of humanity, which is from Christopher Walken. Uh, there's this, <laughs> and then this is angel that idea that angels are these sort of powerful, vengeful figures, which comes from uh, you know sort of the saints and 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 that sort of uh, and sort of the adoption of Christianity in Northern Europe as kind of a war religion in certain ways. But but Tilda Swinton brings to bear her consistency considerable talents as a reinterpreter of human experience to play a part that is well beneath her skills right it is it is a part that mostly serves to confound keanu reeves and and douse racial vice in very in water at various points over the course of the movie right uh and, and like um sword fight i guess or whatever dance around and, and gunfight or whatever but but it's a movie that feels kind of trashy in the story that it's trying to tell, but that elevates it with this performance art skill and this this complex interrogation of identity that's present in Tilda Swinton performances. And for that, I the thing that I really liked about Tilda Swinton is she was willing to bring the same commitment and the same artistic sense that she would bring to like a MoMA installation to playing the angel Gabriel and Constantine. And she does the same thing with playing the white witch in the Narnia movies. She brings her all and, and she offers her full, her full self as an artist. At least I feel into projects that are thought of to be low art or mass market. Oh yeah. She never, she never phones it in even when she's doing schlock. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what I respect about her more than anything. And this Um, was, this was, we sort of talked and, and by the way, like Tilda Swinton goes to the artiest reaches of the art uh, of the art world, like she lived in a glass box at MoMA for yep. a week or something like that. Maybe it wasn't MoMA, but she lived in a glass box. She like made her life a uh, an exhibit for a week and like was confined to this one room in uh, in an art gallery. Like this is you know um, some some pretty out there performance arty type stuff that uh, uh, that that she does. And rather than sort of being a part of that, she does uh, exclusively being a part of that world exclusively she does all this mainstream commercial stuff and never seems to be phoning it in she's she is the uh uh she's the quintessential actor who works right like she she just t- she does she does work and does it very well you know um uh, uh you know whatever whatever her cultural blind spots may be and like i feel like this is a i mean i feel like for her wasn't it that like uh you know bong joon ho likes me and so I can't be racist, right? Was, <laughs> oh, this is so in regards to the, yeah. the very bizarre feud with um, Margaret Cho, yeah, um, an Asian representation that goes back to her 
uh, role as um, the Ancient One in Doctor Strange. <laughs> Mark, you're my you're my Korean friend. Like, can you explain what the deal is with Tilda Swinton and Margaret Cho? <laughs> I wish I could. I can't. It's very complicated. Like this email thread got put out, and uh, somewhere in them, two of them agreeing that you know, uh, let's let's talk and let's have have a dialogue. Margaret Cho thinks that uh, Tilda Swinton is being insensitive to racial issues, and the, and and Tilda Swinton takes offense to this notion that she's being insensitive and then publishes this uh, email thread. Um, and somewhere along the way, it claims that, um, you know, being down with Bong, being in a Bong Joon-ho movie uh, makes her down with the Asians as well. <laughs> so, I mean, I haven't investigated it so much. You know, I, I will not uh, play uh, Asian-American judge, jury, and executioner and <laughs> render verdict upon Tilda Swinton. Other than to say that, you know, in this movie, as in any other movie, she's irresistible to watch, right? And anytime she's on the screen, um, you, you can't help but pay incredibly close attention to her, like every aspect of her, her body, her face, the her, her teeth, the sounds that she's making. What's going on with her teeth? Maybe let's start there. Why did she have why did she have adult braces at the beginning of this? Which, by the way, they come off about halfway through, right? Well, the, there's right. a ten year yeah. there's a ten year time jump, yeah. Uh, pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty quickly in the movie. So her teeth got fixed. I hope she's wearing her retainers though, because that's uh, you know. Um, Otherwise, it's a lot of money down the drain. Uh, so, so well, I mean, the characters are about putting on appearances. I think, as opposed to sort of, so I wonder because so, so it's it's about inter- it's it's about um, fearless girl to an extent is is a good metaphor or not a good metaphor but a good a good similar sort of symbol wherein fearless girl is an admirable idea and is an idea a lot of people can get behind and has a symbol that impa- makes a lot of people feel good but we must remember has been put there by a corporation to serve its own interests sure. and We're also talking to make about it feel the, the young girl statue of the young girl facing off against the the bull on Wall Street Yes. Yeah. So what? Yeah. What we're talking about is when corporations and and there's this interesting discussion that you can be part of in all sorts of ways that tries to figure out what corporations are really doing, which I think at many points does tend to conflate the many different intentions of the people who are working for corporations and in charge of them with the entity of the corporation as a thou, as a being, uh, which it probably is not. Uh, it, is, it is not a sentience, right? It, like No more than a country is. But this idea that a, a corporation can try to improve its image and how people think about it and how people feel about it and the leaders of corporations can work to feel better about themselves and their role in society and also investors and patricians. This goes back to the idea of the patrician as as a benevolent force, which goes way back to Rome. And this this idea that you have rich people and they have client relationships with poorer people. And it is part of the responsibility of being a rich person uh, that you make life better for the poorer people. And then it's also part of their responsibility to help you out. And you build these partnerships uh, where everybody prospers, but some prosper more than others. And so by by and this and this has sort of been changed and transferred and translated over the years into this idea of corporations as global citizens, uh, where the corporation is trying to have an ethical life as a constructed sentient being, wherein it makes decisions that are good and does things that are ontologically good and consequentially good, such as further the causes of gender equality and justice and further health and feed the hungry and clothe the the naked and and conduct the idea that a large legal entity could engage in Christ's cardinal works of mercy is part of what's happening here. Uh, And and I think that this movie, Okja, presents it as as this sort of desperate and tragic uh, charade. Uh, which is not necessarily I mean, the the fearless girl statue is less is less of a charade, I would say, in the way that people engage with it. Some people see it as a fraud. Some people see it as an important truth. Some people say, well, well, look, the statue is here and I'm the reader of the statue. So it means to me what I say it means, that kind of thing. Um, some people have problems with the intellectual property, but it's all in that same world of of artistic expression and marketing expression and personage that you create for a business interest to make it into an ethically good thing. And this and, and Okja sees this all as like the corporation has one person. The fa- one thing that gets repeated a lot is who is the face of Miranda? 
who is I'm the face of Mirando. I'm the face of Mirando. And all the time, there are these colorful characters in pink costumes or brightly colored costumes who are the face of Mirando. But the body of Mirando is the group of people in suits led by Giancarlo Esposito and also by secret evil Tilda Swinton, who are like the, the body and soul of Mirando and don't engage in, in a sincere way with any of the ethical concerns that the face of Mirando is engaged in uh, and that it's all a sort of a dance. And, and it's sort of sad, right? Like Lucy, is it Lucy or Wendy? Oh, gosh. The good Lucy one. is the yeah, is the quote unquote good one. Well, but not really good because she's also she's the one who who comes up with the whole thing that gets Okja. But, you know, you could say, well, if it weren't for for good Tilda Swinton, then Okja never would have gone to Korea in the first place. And that girl never would have found a friend. But this movie is not engaged in that kind of like complex problematization of consequentialism. It is, it uh, is true, though, yeah. that she says, uh, like, hey, we've had to do a little genetically modified something, something under the table. It's a shame. Like, you get the sense that that uh, uh, Misha's grandfather's farm was chosen because it's so picturesque. Right. Yes. Like that. Yep. Like and the idea of naturalness, another thing about which we have a lot of false consciousness with respect to food um is uh is an, another another discourse that this that this movie spews its poop into and doesn't really take a time to take the time to shovel it up but pete sorry let me let, let me let you finish your point so just to to cash out it's that it's not a simple thing to determine when a business interest tries to do some good in the world uh whether like how to judge that against things that they might do that would be bad does it really erase the sins? Probably not, right? But but is it better than not doing anything? Probably. But then it's like, well, what about what if it actually does do a lot of good? That's another question. That's interesting. And it's hard for the the human beings to engage with this, oh, largely because you know it's an institution, it's not a person, and it's the simulacrum of a person, and there's something that just feels like a lie. And and and, and good Tilda Swinton, quote unquote, good pink Tilda Swinton, refers to them as white lies. The the fraud at the heart of what she's presenting to everybody is a white lie, and and her character seems to think of this as for a really good reason. And there's this sense that everybody else is allowing her to persevere in her charade because it's to their advantage, and she's sort of being exploited by them uh all the while evil tilda swinton or black tilda swinton is in the wings secretly leading things ready to jump back into uh, a sensible command as soon as it no longer benefits the body and soul of mirando to have a happy and fun face uh to take his mask off it's face versus mask is probably a good way of discussing it and also a good thing to apply to any uh performance work involving tilda swinton and that helps uh, to uh, understand a little bit the the um, at the time uh, incomprehensible scene where Lucy is alone in her office and then like she gets delivered a package and she opens it up and it's a portrait of her sister. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and then, like I felt like it was almost like Dorian Gray, where like the that's what where I sort of thought, oh, it's a split personality thing. Like she's waking up at night and she's sending herself pictures of her true self, and at some point she's going <laughs> to reveal that this is really her true self. Yeah, that would have been um, a far more interesting movie, but uh, yeah. sadly didn't get that. No, no, no. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's again. It's, I think that Okja is. Okja could present us with very simple and straightforward solutions to a lot of these complex questions, but then would also feel like a stupid movie. And so instead, it presents us with problematic. Well, I hate problematic. Uh, I hate using it, but like complex, incoherent, difficult. Uh, stupid, <laughs> over like like things that both feel both overcomplicated and oversimplified at the same time approaches to the same problems, and then it also feels like a stupid movie. So I guess you can't win. Uh, that's and that's kind of maybe that's the moral to take away from. Oh, okay. So that's 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 what that's what the movie's about. Thanks for asking answering my question at the beginning of the podcast. Pete. Like Got you could have had you could have had free Willy, but you would have thought that was stupid too. So we gave you this. Congratulations. I mean, you could have. E- you could have had E.T. as well, but we already have E.T. And go listen to the podcast we did on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great. True. All right. So as uh, as the giant orca, uh, Okja orca, uh, jumps over the, the rock jetty and swims out to sea, it's time to uh, call an end to this episode of the Overthinking a Podcast. Thank you very much, Mark and Pete, for podcasting with me. And thank everyone who listened. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking a Podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably does doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Oh, yeah.